This is a podcast by One Life Christian Church in Baldwin, New York. We pray that the following podcast would encourage you, build you up in the gospel, and lead you closer to Jesus. We remind you that these are simply tools to help you in your walk and ask that you still look for a local church to attend and serve in. Welcome to the living room. I'm excited for what um, God is allowing unto our house in this season. Last week, we started our series, He is Risen, if you remember. And uh, my exhortation for Easter season is always that for those of you who maybe don't know this house or don't know us, you know that uh, we're not much for just ritual or tradition for tradition's sake. We believe that Easter is made powerful because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? But we do also know that in Easter season, we see people coming to church that haven't been to church in 364 days. <laughs> Maybe longer, because last year, you know, they were tired, so they didn't come. So the point is that we as leaders, we as pastors and shepherds, that we would push you into recognizing that the celebration and the power of a risen Christ and a Christ crucified happens week after week, day after day after day. Jesus is risen is a celebration in our hearts every single day. And so on Sunday, Easter, Resurrection Sunday, we engage in just a bit more like pointed remembrance of that. But the truth is that we worship every day of our lives for those of us who consider ourselves believers in Jesus, a resurrected Christ every single day. So I pray that you would never fall into the motion of, hey, Jesus, I'll call you when I need you. That's what we do to one another, though, isn't it? Like, even for people we call really good friends, hey, I'll check in on you when I need you. Or when I remember you. And we do the same thing with Jesus. So imagine if you do that with people that you can see tangibly, how much more you do that to the reason, the person who's responsible for your heart beating. Don't you think he's worthy of so much more of your praise? Right? So can we make it Resurrection Sunday in our hearts every day? Not even Sundays. Don't make this a Sunday thing. What are you doing at home? See, people that know Jesus, when you read Romans, I believe it's chapter 9, Paul talks about the marks of a true Christian. And the marks of a true Christian aren't ju isn't just about behaviors. It's about relationships. So if you're wondering why you feel God so distant, you have to ask yourself why you are so distant from God. So many of us long to hear the voice of the Father, not realizing that he has said so much of what he needed to already. We're waiting for the prophet to come and speak to the house, but you refuse to listen to his voice. It's right here. All you got to do is open up your Bible. And that's my pitch for if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible right in front of you in the seat right under the seat in front of you, if you'll just take home the word of God, if you long to hear God's voice, read your Bible. Read it. If you feel broken and alone and you feel like maybe you only get fed when you feel like coming to church, I challenge you to look for the Lord in his word. Amen. Let's get to this word for today. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 19? Again, we're celebrating today Palm Sunday, or in Spanish, what is it? Dia de Ramos? 
Is that what it is? So the point of me saying it in Spanish is that I grew up, you know, in the Hispanic Pentecostal context. And I realized as I'm prepping this week for Palm Sunday that for the last two weeks, last two years, I've been making it a thing. But realizing that all my life, we never really made Palm Sunday a thing in the Hispanic church. Hispanic context church, excuse me. And then I realized that for this year, I wanted us to really learn. So this is a teaching about what Palm Sunday is. What is it? What is it that we're celebrating? What is it that happened? Anybody else in the kind of thinks about Palm Sunday and you have no idea why it's Palm Sunday? Right? All you know is that you go to the supermarket and for $7.99, you can get a piece of palm leaf that is made into a cross and you can take it home. And for some reason, it hangs there for like seven years. Right? It's hanging on the corner of your bed, all forgotten. Right? But I want us to understand what the beauty of Palm Sunday is. And though we don't have palms here to give you, right? We're saving the money. We have a picture. It's much cheaper to put it up on the screen. Um, but let's look at what the Bible tells us about this wonderful day. Day one of Holy Week. And what exactly happened during this time. So Luke chapter 19 verse 28 says. And we read this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage, which some people read as Bethpage, it's when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Verse 32 says, so those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. Verse 33, sorry. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. What a beautiful sight, right? That they would throw the cloak, and that they would set the king upon this colt. Verse 36, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Today is famously regarded, as we said, as Palm Sunday, the day that we celebrate the last Passover entering the great city of Jerusalem. This version of the triumphal entry that Luke writes about is the telling of Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem. He was entering for what would be the last time. Can you imagine this? He's entering this city for what would be his last time here on earth to celebrate Passover. And Passover is the Jewish celebration 
that commemorates the liberation of the Jews from Egyptian enslavement, if you know the story of Moses. But this is significant because among the plagues that God sends or he allows unto the, Egypt, unto the Egyptians, excuse me, was the angel of death. The angel of death was sent to kill the firstborn of everyone in the city, right? He didn't just send it for the Egyptians. The angel of death's job was to kill the firstborn of every family, except those who followed this one rule. God told Moses to tell the Jews to sacrifice a lamb and to paint the posts of the doors to their home with the blood of the lamb. The angel of death would then, now coming into the city, descending upon Jerusalem, uh, upon Egypt, he would come and for every doorpost painted in the blood of the sacrificial lamb, the angel of death would pass over. Okay. We're from Long Island. We should know this story well. <laughs> Jesus was entering Jerusalem. Now, hopefully this makes sense to you. Jesus was entering Jerusalem to be the last Passover sacrifice. We regard him as the sacrificial lamb of God, where his blood would now be painted on the doorposts of our hearts that when the inevitable angel of death would come, because we're all assured death, but I'm not talking about a, just a physical death, which we surely will all get to unless Jesus returns for his church and we're ascended with him. But it's the assurance of death in our sin. If you remember what we talked about last week, the reason for why we need Easter or celebrate Easter or resurrection at all, the situation of man, which was what? That man is guilty of sin. And what is the penalty of sin? It's assured death. Okay. So Jesus comes to deliver us from that. Luke 19 tells us the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. He was traveling from having raised Lazarus, one of his good friends, from, from, from the dead. He had gone through Bethphage and now was in Bethany. And in Bethany, going back to these verses, in Bethany, he sends out, it says, he sends out two disciples in verse 29. And he says, go and grab the colt. It's in verse 30 that he says this key word. And if you've been with me for a while, you know that this is always a key word, and it's go. When God calls us unto something in our lives, it's a go season. It's not a sit season necessarily, but even in our sitting, he always has a go for us. Even in your coming to this house to receive word from God, he is still calling you into a go. And for us, you might wonder, what's that go for me? That go for you is still to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to the lost. So you might be in a season of rest where even at one life, if you're serving and you're a little beat up and, hey, I have a lot going on and you go into a season of rest, we are never free from the go of making disciples. Do we know that? I know that one is not as popular. I know that that one, that one calls us out of our discomfort because many of us, even in this house today, have made a relationship with God too heavy on Sunday attendance and even then, you struggle to show up. I know. Hold on. You, you guys know me well enough. You know I got to do it. 
I have to do it. The reason why is because God calls us into relationship. The reason why you see, I hear so many people talk about the men of the Bible being hypocrites, and you know what? Maybe you're right. But they cared enough to trust God in their weaknesses. Where so many of us know we're broken, we know we're hurting, but we're too proud to allow God to come in and fix it. Think about that. The men that Jesus chooses to walk with him, that he chooses to trust in, to protect him. If you read their individual stories, if you learn them, you will know that they were men that were broken. They had issues. They had anger. They had pride. Remember when they were competing against one another. Jesus, who would you say is the most important one? That's so human of them, isn't it? These were broken men, but they trusted a person. God. And that's something that you and I fail to do on many occasions. To trust in a faulty way in a perfect God. Because if you in your fault would trust in a perfect God, you too would be made whole. It, it, is that hard for us to understand though? Maybe because we know our brokenness. But if you claim to be someone who loves Jesus and who loves God, then I invite you into a real relationship with him. Anybody in the house afraid of commitment? Raise your hand. But the truth is that it's a lot of us, right? And I'm not even talking about relationships, husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend. I'm not talking about all that because we already know that. But commitment in general, because it calls you out of comfort. This morning... We didn't know what to expect in our 9 a.m. service. And I said, Lord, don't make me preach to an empty room because I still have COVID PTSD. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who else in this room was preaching during COVID, but preaching to a, a small webcam 10 feet away was a nightmare. Because imagine you guys, I, I feed from you guys, like your energy, your laughter, your warmth. Imagine in a room by yourself looking into this little camera. And are you trying to be all like, nothing nobody on Facebook you would just see or, or you saw the camera turn off which you know you meant they're not there anymore right so I said Lord this is your house if there's people sitting in the lobby it's because you have done the work of being faithful for everything that you've promised unto us not even to me because you don't owe me anything you've been faithful to your promises and I invite you, if you're an early riser, would you just come out and worship with us at 9 o'clock? It's the day of the Lord. And, but listen, we had Elder Chris, 45 people this morning sitting here worshiping with us. Like, friends, that's victory. That's victory. And it's not victory because of numbers. It's victory. We had one family come. It was their first time here. And they said, we've been watching you for weeks. And because they have a little baby, they're afraid of crowds. So they said they came, they sat in the corner, they were here early, and they were so warm. They felt warm in the welcome in this house. So if they're watching now, Edgar, um, thank you so much for bringing your family, brother. Um, it was an affirmation from the Lord that this is what he wants for this house. Would you pray for our volunteers also who, um, you know, I know they're getting beat up. They were super nervous for today, but they did an incredible job. So thank you to all of our volunteers also, yes. 
may you take their service as an example for you. This is a table of the Lord's food that we get to eat from. I've used this illustration before. How many of us come from families with mothers who taught us to come to a table empty-handed? We come to eat week after week where other people have labored and put their time into helping set the Lord's table for us to eat. My invitation to you is, how are you serving the table? Are you at least washing the dishes? Because I'll tell you what, in my house, you better wash these dishes. <laughs> I hate washing dishes. I've said that before up here, right? You invite me to your house, I'm not washing dishes. <laughs> I'm so glad we have the freedom to be joyful in the house of the Lord, right? Uh, if it's your first time with us, this is a family. We're imperfect, but we love Jesus, and we find tremendous freedom in him. Um, and... and I didn't welcome you before, but it is so amazing to have you here in the house of God. Um, and as we consider the temple of God, right, Jesus is coming in towards Jerusalem. And he's coming in and where he had already spoken to his friends about what was to come. Can you imagine the weight in his heart to know that this was the last time he was walking into this city alive? He knew what was coming. He knew what he had to do. He knew he was the last sacrifice that we would need. So Jesus is traveling after doing these miracles, bringing his friend back from the dead, leaves Bethphage and now goes into Bethany, sends out these two disciples, and he says what? He says, grab me a colt that is tied. And we might think that what Jesus is telling them is to go into Jerusalem and find the first young colt, the first young donkey that you see, and steal it. But he's not. This is where we start seeing the Palm Sunday story as a beautiful story of God's sovereignty and the power of the prophetic. What's possible here instead is that as the disciples walk into Jerusalem, they find exactly where Jesus has said this donkey was. They find the donkey and they proceed to untie it. And remember that what we read before was, if they ask you why you're untying the donkey, you need to respond that the Lord has need of it which shows us that the people who owned the donkey were probably followers of Jesus. So as they proclaim that, hey, the reason why I'm taking this donkey is because the Lord has need of it. That means that the people who owned the donkey would have perceived Jesus as their Lord. Okay. But in this day and age, because the religious were so heavy on making sure they had the control of the city and of the temple, anyone who they knew was a follower of Jesus Christ was in danger. Do we know this? It's important for us to know the history of this. So they only kind of knew each other through their small underground network because there was still great shame in the followers of Jesus. The donkey in this story is important. The donkey we read about in verse 30, it says... Saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. That's important. We'll come back to that. He says, untie it and bring it here. And let me point out that Jesus' triumphal entry doesn't begin once he passes the, 
the gates of Jerusalem. It actually begins from the time he mounts this donkey into the time that he goes all the way through to the temple inside of Jerusalem. But I made note of this in the first service, and I don't want you to miss it. Sometimes we can be this donkey. Note the action of Jesus telling them, go. He sends them out on mission. Make moves. Get up and move. A lot of us like to sit. A lot of us like to get fed. But we don't like to make moves for what God calls us into. So he says, go. And they go. They're obedient. They go. And then he says, untie the donkey. See, everybody had a role to play here, including the donkey. The donkey was to ride back with the disciples and have the king of the Jews mounted on his back as they walked into this beautiful city. But before he could make moves, he had to be untied. God had a purpose for this donkey, but as long as he was tied up to that pole, he could not engage in the work that God had waiting for him. And the same thing for you, friends. If you're tied up in things that keep you stagnant and without motion, but God has established a plan and a purpose for your life, the first thing you need to do is make the uncomfortable decision of untying yourself. Get untied today so that God might use you for everything that he has called you for. The donkey is untied. Note that in verse 30, Jesus says that the donkey then will be found by them and that the donkey has never been ridden by anyone else. Why is this important? Because all of this points to Jesus as a king. Could Jesus have walked straight from Bethany into Jerusalem? Of course. He just raised somebody from the dead. He could do whatever he wants. But there was a reason why Jesus didn't walk straight into the city. And I'll tell you why. Let's make reference to the Old Testament. The book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. The great prophecy of the prophet Zechariah was this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, again, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Remember, this is years and years and years before Jesus. He says, humble and mounted on a what? A donkey. On a colt. The foal of a donkey. Can can we make note of this real quick? There's a lot of people who claim to be prophets. And they come to you with zero detail. This is a prophet. Centuries before, he says, not just a a donkey, but a a, a colt. The foal of a donkey. Do you see how we kind of spoil things for the sake of emotional manipulation sometimes? This is how prophets speak. They speak specifically to the situation because prophets are simply the mouthpieces of the spirit of the living God. So if you're saying, I don't know if you probably, like me, you've seen this. I I see something in your belly. We all have something in our belly. We all have something in our belly. Like, once, they, once I hear that, like, listen, God can redeem all of that also, right? Everyone's worthy of redemption. But when I read, this is, the, this is the danger in reading your Bible. Lord, how do I know that they're a prophet? Well, here's an example of one verse. 
in a few hundred years, the king will come to you. He will be riding humble and mounted on a donkey. But wait, not just any donkey. He's going to be a, a, a foal, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus' Jesus's plans are all out of the need to fulfill the prophecy. The reason why the colt had to be the one that hadn't had to be one that hadn't been written before was because in because royalty in Jewish tradition, sorry, rode on animals of burden. Do you know what an animal of burden is? An animal of burden is a horse, is an elephant, is an ox, is a donkey, meaning that they carry weight and they drag, they work the fields, they're animals of burden. And if we read the prophetic vision of John, when he says, when he talks about Jesus returning for his, this is what we wait for now, right? The return of Jesus. How does he say that Jesus will return? He will return not on a donkey, but now on a horse, mounted on a white horse in power, in glory, with seven crowns or diadems. And on his side, we'll say what? King of kings. So in that occasion, Jesus is coming to declare war on earth and reclaim everything that is his. This is imagery, friends. This is important. But why did he use a donkey for this one? Because in Jewish tradition, in many occasions, especially with royalty, the donkey was used as a sign of peace. Jesus came to conquer sin and death once and for all and to declare peace among his people. Do you see how Palm Sunday is not just about you spending $8 at Stop and Shop? (laughs) Palm Sunday, the beginning of the most love-drenched week in all history. Something significant that many of us miss when we read the story of Palm Sunday is... That this donkey, one, was young, and two, no one had ever ridden him, which meant what? It meant that he was still wild. Anybody work the fields here? Okay, I didn't think so. You can't just go into the wild and jump on top of a donkey that's never, never been ridden. It has to be broken. But look at what they did. It was a young donkey. They go, they grab it, they bring back the donkey. They, it says that they throw the cloak over and they sit Jesus on it. And the donkey led him. Did we miss that one? Because that donkey, especially being young and with a lot of energy, you ever have a young dog, a little puppy in your house? That puppy will drag you everywhere. But the the donkey led him, which shows us the sovereignty of God even over his creation. Everything God had allowed and granted him for the fulfillment, not for the breaking of the law and the prophecy, but for the fulfillment of the prophecy. Jesus rides then into Jerusalem. Luke tells us that the people celebrated as Jesus headed into Jerusalem, not just when he got to the gates. We've seen this maybe in movies, right? Passion of the Christ. You see the people waving the palms. And so what did palms signify? The palms were, uh, they were waved in the air to signify victory and triumph. But another beautiful thing about the palms with that was that they were also laid down before the donkey so that the donkey who carried the king 
wouldn't have to touch the ground. Anybody watch Coming to America? Do you remember in the beginning of the movie with um, the prince? They would throw the roses. Okay. Very similar, the, the king and the prince. So that their feet wouldn't touch the floor. They were royalty. And the same thing happens here. The palms put in front of the donkey so that they wouldn't have to touch the floor. They did this raising the palms in the air, laying it down also before the donkey. What else did they do? They took off their cloaks. And in taking off their cloaks, which was like an overcoat, they would also throw that and put it in front. And imagine what a wonderful thing to be able to take, put on a cloak that helped the king not have to touch the dirty ground. And we're not talking about paved roads here, right? We're talking about dirt, which is why even the notion of washing of feet was even more beautiful because it wasn't them coming in from playing on that beautiful grass you have at your house. It was dirt. So Jesus washes our feet. It was mud that was created out of that. So Jesus walks in to the city. All of this commotion is happening And what are they yelling? They're yelling, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Mark, if you read the book of Mark, Luke doesn't use the word Hosanna, but in Mark, he uses the word Hosanna. And Hosanna means save now. Save us now. So these people, they know what Jesus does. They know these mighty works that he is doing. And so when they see him, they're excited and waving the palms. It wasn't little crosses, right? It was actual like palm leaves. They're shaking it in the air. They're excited. But at the end of the week, these very same people would be the ones who would yell, crucify him. Like if, that, if, hey, if that doesn't trouble you, the very same people that love the work that Jesus did now said, crucify him. But it was all part of the prophetic Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest is what they yelled. Jesus had come into town to begin the end of his earthly ministry. But as Jesus is coming in and there's so much hype and there's so much hurrah around him, it's the Pharisees from the temple that come in and they say to Jesus, and we see this in verse 39, it says, and some of the Pharisees and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the temple. They had the power. They had the authority. They walk up to Jesus and they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. What's important in what they just said? What word? Teacher. The religious leaders, they knew who they were dealing with. They knew who they were talking to. But he was a danger. He came to destroy everything that they had built. And friends, Jesus still does that to us today. My wife said this to me in the car the other day as we were driving into the city for a treatment. She goes, because I asked myself this question. I said, you know what's crazy? It took Martin Luther, a fairly modern prophet, right? Martin Luther to say, to look back at Catholicism and say, Lord, what have we done? What have we done? We've taken the beauty of everything you've given us. We've created a religion 
and we've spoiled your faithfulness or your promises unto us. Not your faith. We can't spoil his faithfulness. He's faithful. Martin Luther goes and he says, I rebuke this. I protest, right? He stands up for what he believes and he says, I protest. And he puts those notifications on the doors to the, to the church. And Diorca goes, well, babe, I feel like in many ways we also now do that too. Where we've become so accustomed even to things like this. It's beautiful to see your faces. But this is not your faith. This is just a response to your faith. Where you say, I love Jesus so much, I got to be with his people. I love Jesus so much that I have to be in worship with other people who love him like I do. But have you noticed that's not why we come? Because the extent of our faith is to do churchy things. We went to St. Patrick's the other day with Pastor Scott who was visiting us. St. Patrick's in the city. What a beautiful, opulent thing. And I walk in and you know, you see the, I don't know what they're called. Please forgive me. No offense to anybody who knows the names to these. I, I just don't know what they're called. But I just see a big old box with a lot of candles. And it says, buy three for six bucks. And I'm like, what in the world? And then I look to the right, and there's a bookstore right in the temple. And I look to my left, and there's these long candles. And I think those were like $3.50, bucks. And all you have to do is light them. See, Jesus, when he walked into Jerusalem, he went straight to the temple. He was walking in to scope out some of his battlefield. And where he goes, he goes into the temple. And what does he see? A den of thieves. It was in the temple that he saw that they were selling things in the temple. That the Pharisees, the religious and Jewish leaders of the time, were selling spaces and stalls so that people would come and do what? Commerce. Can you imagine one life? You coming in and somebody's selling coconuts in the corner. Somebody is selling you the tissues you're going to use today. Somebody is selling you communion cups for 50 cents a pop. I'll tell you what, those communion cups get expensive. Is that not what we see today? Friends, we can't afford what God has to give us. That's why we needed Christ to die on a cross. So they say, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus responds really quickly, verse 40. Super simple. He says, I tell you, if these were silent, because he was talking about the people that were waving these palms, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out, I am the king. If you won't praise me, I will make these rocks cry out in your place. You're important to God, but not that important. You're important enough for him to die on that cross for you to be saved and to be with him once more in heaven, seated with him in paradise. But he longs for your heart more than anything. But if you choose to not raise your voice and praise his name, he will use the rocks. Do you understand this? Just because we refuse to love him well doesn't mean his work won't get done. Just because he's called some of you to serve him and serve him fervently and you've said no because it gets in my way doesn't mean somebody won't do the job. You are important to God, 
But when you say no, his work will still get done. But here's our joy. Isn't it wonderful to serve a God that's strong? We believe in something real, friends. And like I said last week, was it last week? Maybe a couple of weeks ago. My memory's bad. Everything that God offers us, he offers it us, offers it to us for free. All you have to do is be courageous, stop being lazy, and stop being so afraid to step out of your comfort zone. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. One Life Christian Church is located in Baldwin, New York. To find out more about the church, visit us at www.onelifeli.com.